0: This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast.
1: The Associated Press, with a couple of DC think tanks, recently conducted a survey about how the American people feel about the media, in particular their level of trust for the media some disappointing results if you're the ap because people distrust the media more than they ever have now it breaks down differently for political party and age and other factors but all across the political spectrum people trust the media less and less how is the media covering media distrust greetings and welcome to crossroads with terry mattingly i'm todd wilkin thanks for tuning us in Terry is senior fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate, and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. The poll numbers just get worse and worse in terms of the American people trusting the news media. Is there more to this than simply politics?
0: Well, you can look at this the tsunami has been building for decades. And the trust factor just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. You end up also with this trust factor running along partisan lines. You, you were cr- absolutely correct to say that the distrust has increased among everybody. But it's hard not to notice that like 61% of Republicans in this poll said the news media is hurting America, and 23% of Democrats agreed with that. So that's a stark political divide about who trusts the media. And when we say the media, I guess we mean the mainstream press. We mean the major networks, the major newspapers, the major wire services. But I think that's a simplistic vision of what the media is today, because it's really ironic. I was writing up some notes about the poll and one of the things I jumped on. Let's see if I can find it here in my list. Americans say social media is tearing the nation apart. Then when you say to Americans, okay, where are you going to get your information since you distrust the mainstream press? And Americans then say, well, of course, social media. And then when you say, it's kind of like, you know, you've seen the polls that Americans think their congressman is great, but think everybody else is out to lunch. Americans say that the media that they have chosen is more fair and more accurate and more courageous, but the media, the other side of the national debate, chooses is unfair and inaccurate and biased, et cetera, et cetera. There's two things here I want to stress for the listeners. We're back to the reality I described in the piece I wrote recently for the Religion and Liberty Journal published by the Acton Institute on the evolving religion of journalism. And I wanted to stress in that piece that there is something new here, which is that the Internet makes biased news more profitable, the way it divides us. So that's the new factor. The old factor, I would argue, is a division in America that really began, as an Orthodox Christian, as a conservative on moral and social issues, I would say that to some degree, the Vietnam War, yes, but I really think the divide in America is about the Supreme Court And the role the Supreme Court plays in settling issues in America, and that to some degree this begins with issues like school prayer, and most importantly, Roe v. Wade. In his book *Culture Wars*, James Taviss and Hunter basically says that when a nation is painfully divided, the only power in our government that can force people to do things against their will is the Supreme Court. And thus, who controls the Supreme Court in order to force the other half of America to do the will of the other half of America in this split? The Supreme Court becomes the be-all and the end-all of all American national politics. And so I would argue, kind of not to bury the lead here, that as America's battles have increasingly become over religious, moral, and cultural issues at the Supreme Court, which then links up to free speech and a whole lot of other things, First Amendment, religious liberty, freedom of association. We're battling over the court all the time. That affects our politics, and with the Internet, that divides our media, which makes us hate each other even more. You have that great quote. I know I keep reading it to folks, the opening sentences of the David French book, Divided We Fall, in which he says, basically, Americas are divided by zip codes, they're divided by entertainment, they're divided by media, they're even divided by entertainment and sports. And then he says, quote, it's time for Americans to wake up to a fundamental reality. The continued unity of the United States cannot be guaranteed. At this moment, he says, quote, there is not a single important cultural, religious, political, or social force that is pulling Americans together more than it is pulling us apart, end of quote. So my final statement on your first question, if we can't even trust the information that's in our media anywhere, how do we have the discussions that can lead to compromise, peace, mutual understanding, or even tolerance?
1: I'm waiting for a reporter to talk about the fragility of the media's, not just the trust, but of audience loyalty. So I'll give you two examples, Uh two recent Hmm. examples on both sides of the political divide. CNN viewers very quickly turned on CNN. Oh, man. When they ran, actually less time than they had allotted, when they ran the Trump Town Hall, I believe it was last week. And then on the other side, of course... Fox viewers very vocally turned on Fox. I don't mean turned it on to watch it, but turned on them when they fired Tucker Carlson. And just today, they're scrambling Fox is to somehow find people to get back into prime time and get some of those ratings back, if ever. When is someone going to talk about audience loyalty? And we're talking about the core of either side and how fragile that is for media outlets. Yeah, I was following some debate about that town
0: hall. I don't like talking about President Donald Trump that much because, once again, that divides everybody so much. But that town hall was the perfect ink blot test for what people think of the media. You had three different voices all screaming at the same time, and then you had Anderson Cooper in a viral clip that's going everywhere now. Basically, CNN said, well, we had to put him on. But he lies so much what are we supposed to do the trump public then gets to say well there they go again saying exactly the same thing that we always expect cnn to say about our president and then the hard left says why did cnn even give him the free publicity in the first place why are they cooperating with trump they're obviously bowing the knee to try to get ratings by appealing to blah 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 Perfect, perfect summary of where we are right now. But even scarier, I was watching an analysis of the Anderson Cooper commentary about it, and Cooper's quotes are really essential, and one of them, if I can dare say so myself, even kind of echoes some of the language of that Faith and Liberty article that I wrote, though I would never claim Anderson Cooper would read something like that. But here's some of what he said. He was talking to the people who were upset about CNN carrying it. And he says, and the audience that upset you, that's a sampling of about half of the country. Now, that's that's accurate. America split, like French said, basically 50-50 on all of this. But then later, in a part where some people in Twitter and other social media argued about whether Cooper seemed to be on the verge of tears. He was so emotionally involved in this that he might even tear up on the air. And he said, you have every right to be outraged today and angry and never watch this network again. Who is the you in that sentence? You have every right. Well, several people brilliantly noted he's saying the CNN audience. And he's in effect admitting that the CNN audience is one half of that America who's mad at the other half. To some degree, the veil comes down for a second, and you have a very blunt admission of CNN's partisan role in this whole affair as defined by the partisan role of its audience. And then he even, as the Hollywood reporter, bizarrely turns on his own viewers and says, Do you think staying in your silo and only listening to people you agree with is going to make that person go away? That person, of course, is the, in Harry Potter terms, he who must not be named. Orange man bad. It's Donald Trump, of course. Do you think staying in your silo and only listening to people you agree with is going to make that person go away? A perfect statement of where we are right now. One more point back to what you just said. On one of the recent nights, everybody is parsing the ratings right now post Tucker debacle and death spiral for Fox. At a crucial moment in the demographic the other night, you had the top four networks were MSNBC, I believe, was number one, Fox was number two, CNN was four. Want to try to guess who had a larger audience than CNN at that moment? Who's that? Newsmax. Which literally until like a week ago or two weeks ago was a tiny fringe network that the left half of America normally paints straight over into conspiracy theory crazy land. And even lots of people on the right consider it a source they may pay attention to, but they may even think it's a little too edgy. Did you think you'd see a day in a prime time news slot where Newsmax would rank ahead of CNN? Can you imagine the panic level at CNN right now? It's got to be, I mean, Fox is getting the attention right now for valid reason, but CNN's not getting a whole lot of good news right now either.
1: So... I want to come back to a a point you made earlier, and that is that the media has to cover this. They have to cover themselves, in essence, because for good or for ill, the ratings of these large media outlets, because they're owned by other large companies, means money, and it means all kinds of things. It has an impact down the line. definitely Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. So how are they doing? Let's talk about the AP story that I referenced earlier in our conversation, How are the media doing at covering the American public's distrust of them?
0: Well, I mean, also we're talking about the Associated Press that had a headline the other day that the Washington legislature was, quote, protecting trans children from their parents, unquote. So AP has even been pulled into these debates over what half of America are you – Representing, I think, back to the Anderson Cooper thing for a second, another figure, Jake Tapper, the other day commenting on the Durham report. Now, the Durham report, of course, was the long-awaited investigation into Donald Trump and Russia and Russiagate. And according to the mainstream press, the report really didn't amount to anything. According to conservative half of America and its press, it was one of the biggest scandals and many ways worse than Watergate in terms of the involvement of the FBI, etc., etc. Tapper made a comment on the air that the Durham report did include material that was, quote, devastating to the FBI, unquote, at which point, Someone who used to be mainstream media and at ESPN and elsewhere, and now represents kind of the left fringe of American press criticism and commentary on itself, Keith Oberman, said Tapper should resign his job for saying that there was material in the Durham report that was harmful to the press. And I thought to some degree, isn't that, isn't that just where we are right now? I mean, someone reads the report, reads the commentaries on the report, listens to hear people debate the report. Of course, this has been going on in a public place on the Hill for months. And all of a sudden, some guy makes a comment like this, and he should be forced to resign from CNN. Meanwhile, CNN is trying to get ratings, is trying to think at some point, could we ever regain our status as a mainstream, trusted news network? Well, how do we do it if our own audience and our liberal critics won't let us try to move back to the center? How do you survive in this current media marketplace, um, I think a lot of us are also wondering when Tucker Carlson met with Elon Musk, and surely they talked a little bit about Twitter. In one of his second missives on Twitter, video messages on Twitter, Carlson said that he plans to return if he manages to beat Fox in court on the details of his contract. He plans to return with a new form of his old show and that it will be on Twitter. I assume what this means is Elon Musk is trying to find a way to get more video on Twitter. Some people have said it might take the form of like seven to eight minute bytes of video so that it would load and play quickly. So is Tucker saying that he's planning on coming out with his show divided up into Twitter-sized bites of video commentary, with ads and sponsors and stuff framing that, and that all goes on Twitter. Do you think there's any rating potential for that? This is the guy that his very first message, which appeared to be like in a cabin in the woods somewhere, he put it up, and the last time I checked, it was like 7 million people had viewed. I've seen other references later that it went up to like 11 million. Did you see a number for that? Oh, yeah. Whatever the number is, it's like all of the evening commentary shows, ratings combined. So if anything, what we call the mainstream press is about to get even more niche and divided even at the very time we worry about the impact of niche advocacy media on the body politic. on our ability as a nation to have any trust in each other and any constructive debates on any issues in American life, let alone issues as crucial as parental rights, free speech, religious liberty, etc., public education, etc., etc. Amazing times, and I think it's about to get even more complex financially, and in terms of technology, than it is now. Because money and technology is driving a lot of this.
1: What do you make of, if there is any angle, religion angle, in this media distrust question and its coverage?
0: Well, I would simply ask listeners to think once again of what are the most divisive issues in our political landscape right now. What are the issues that people get the most furious about? And I will acknowledge that not all of them are openly religious, but even the ones I don't think are clearly religious involve religion at some level. And I would say race is obviously an example, immigration is another. But if you, you look for the big issues over the last 40 years, you basically end up with a bunch of things growing out of the sexual revolution. You end up with abortion. You then end up with LGBTQ rights and same-sex marriage. And in response to that, you end up with debates about free speech, freedom of association, parental rights in schools. Do public schools have a right to secretly help a child transition to another gender without the parents knowing it, since the parents are the enemy and can't be trusted? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which leads me back to some degree to the audiences watching the Trump town hall from distinctly different directions, perspectives. If you asked the left what's the absolute worst thing that Donald Trump did as president, I would assume for the most part you would hear he appointed those horrible people to the U.S. Supreme Court who voted to overturn Roe v. Wade? I would bet 10 times the odds that that's the answer they would give. At the same time, if you ask American conservatives, including those who are not fond of Trump, the never-Trump conservative crowd, if you ask American conservatives what's the best thing that Donald Trump did as president, I think the first thing you would hear from them is his Supreme Court appointments and his appointments to dozens and dozens of other judge positions in America because he tried to fight for the rule of law. And, of course, we're beginning to see some rulings in favor of the First Amendment, of free speech, and Roe v. Wade was overturned. So we're back to the fact, what role does religion play in American debates about abortion sexuality free speech public schools religious liberty i find it very hard to deny that religion plays a big role in those fights and you can see it in the breakdown now of how people who are religiously active who they vote for in national elections and even local elections so what does that have to do with distrust well if the nation is being given a chance To divide along lines of partisan media, and the partisan media continue to grow further and further apart in their approach to the news, and we can't trust those media, can't we say that religion is a part of the divide? That an increasing divide between people who are very traditional in their approaches to religious life and practice are divided? in the public square from atheists, agnostic, religious liberals and there are some—and the religiously unaffiliated, many of them but not all. So religion, I would say, is at the heart of the Supreme Court wars. Supreme Court issues are the most divisive issues in the media, and thus that's where the media is being put at the breaking point in attempting to cover these things fairly. Especially if the media, as my entire career has been dedicated to writing about, if the media tends to attract people, especially in its most elite jobs on the left coast and the right coast, the blue zones from New York to Boston and then all of California. If you look at who goes into the major media in those places, the simple fact of the matter is they tend to be morally and culturally more liberal than people in the Bible Belt or in the Heartland. And it hasn't helped, the other part of my career, it hasn't helped that religious schools, colleges and universities haven't done their fair part in producing journalists worthy of working in the national press. So religion, religion, religion fits all the way through there and add in the fact that the proven, I believe, evidence that the American political press especially doesn't get religion or understand religion. And religion is going to be a part of this whole media distrust drama because religion is a part of the issues that has led to rampant division and distrust in the American public. At some point, it all gets connected.
1: So here's an example that might illustrate the point. I was listening just randomly early in the morning to National Public Radio And they were teasing before the news what they were going to cover. It was morning edition, their program, after the news. And they said, well, a recent survey shows that the American public is identifying less and less as Christian. And then this is verbatim, quote, they said, we'll examine how that affects politics after the news. And I thought to myself, you know, the story could be that people are... (laughs) identifying as less Christian. That's a huge story. But they jump immediately to how that will affect politics.
0: Well, of course, because politics is real, and religion is not so real. And the other thing that you and I have, gosh, this could be in our list of greatest hits, you have that information from the Pew Forum and the great sociologist and pollster John C. Green noting that the openly secular, even atheist-agnostic segment of the American population on the—we'll say on the left, although liberal and conservative doesn't completely describe the situation—that segment is growing. Everybody knows that. At the same time, the segment of the American population that practices some traditional form of religion is very dedicated to it, The late George Gallup once told me that he's been testing that for almost 30 or 40 years now, and it hasn't changed. It's essentially the same. It's somewhere between about 18 to 24 percent of the public would be found to be consistently practicing a traditional form of religion. Well, okay, so those are the two extremes on both ends. Well, who are the most active people in the two political parties? Who are the grassroots that you absolutely have to please? Well, among Republicans, I think most people would agree, especially in Iowa and early primaries, you really can't tick off the traditional church-going Middle American audience. For Democrats, who is it? Well, the biggest power in the Democratic Party, to some degree, is the teachers' unions and public education. And that's not all liberal, but it tends to be more liberal than the norm. Then, ironically, the other grassroots thing that the Democrats still have to worry about, especially in states like South Carolina, is the black church and the African-American church. And to some degree, they really need the Latino vote to go their way. Well, now, what's happening to the Latino vote in American politics? It's beginning to break down along, wait for it, along what lines? Issues of religion religion culture, morality, and to some degree, business and other things. But I think every analysis I've seen of the Latino vote changes is that the Democrats, to some degree, are driving off about half of the Latino vote in crucial parts of America. Once again, you have these religion ghosts looming in the background behind these discussions of politics. And I don't think there's any way to get out of that equation Supreme Court, moral, cultural, and social issues. The press struggles to cover them fairly and accurately. The internet offers us all a way to just listen to people who already agree with us, and the division and distrust grows.
1: You spoke earlier about the fact that the internet has fundamentally changed the media landscape. Yeah, And especially, and not so much in, what individual media members are tweeting or posting, but it's created or given the media a niche that they can't resist, they can't ignore it, and right now, financially, they can't live without.
0: The core audience, especially for print publications, who is willing to pay money to fund your content? And you have the the great quote from her resignation by Barry Weiss that I put in my article for Religion and Liberty, where she says, basically, the New York Times is being edited right now by Twitter, by its readers on Twitter. Well, we're watching with CNN the struggle of a network that in one era was called the Clinton News Network by its critics. You're watching the leaders of CNN frantically try to figure out if they can get any ratings back from the center of the American political spectrum or the thinking conservative middle right from their perspective, from their perspective, the middle right part of America. Can they do anything that will make them ratings wise a part of the American debate on these topics? Well, hey, CNN, how's that going? CNN executives right now have got to be sitting on thermonuclear hot seats in terms of how this is going with their attempts to grab any ratings at all. And meanwhile, irony of ironies, Fox ran off the anchor with the strongest loyalty, the most loyal audience in terms of populist middle America. And, of course, Tucker Carlson was one of those people who talked about lots and lots of issues that people didn't want to see talked about, which is polarizing, and he's a very polarizing individual. But surprise, if he gets to take this up to the next technological and financial level with his own independent vehicle backed by Elon Musk and Twitter oh man, the ratings wars are going to get even more complex. But at the same time, that audience is going to break and break and break with more people living in those digital silos that I wrote about and that Anderson Cooper, perhaps even with a tear in his eye, referred to the other night.
1: There are some, very few. And I think maybe until maybe five years ago, you might have counted yourself among them, who would have said, we haven't passed the point of no return. Journalism in its classical American form isn't dead. And maybe there's at least one outlet or a handful of newspapers that can maintain the legacy of what we used to just call journalism. Yeah. But now we call unbiased or objective The
0: historians would call it the American model of the The, press. Exactly.
1: So are we past the point of no return?
0: We are not past the point that there are journalists who are sincerely worried about this and are trying to do their best. We're even beginning to see some people from legacy media saying, well, maybe writing off concepts of objectivity and basic professional standards, maybe we need to that. Maybe we need to rethink writing it off. But then you have other people in the mainstream press just more and more going gung-ho. Objectivity is dead. Let's be honest about what we believe. Let's go for it. And besides, that's what the people writing the subscription checks want. That's what the core audience at 8 p.m. cable wants. That's what the radio talk show audience wants. We want to hear people preach to the choir that we happen to sing in. And as I noted in my essay, it's depressing, but that fits the technology of our age. And so it's going to take a lot of courage for anyone in the mainstream press to throw millions and millions of dollars in their own career at trying to offer something in the middle that has any chance to get respect by Republicans and Democrats, pro-lifers, pro-abortion rights people, trans advocates versus detransitioners. Take all the divides that we currently see in our media right now. And I would say, again, religion is woven into about 75% of those issues.
1: With uh, less than a minute, to take only one data point, In everything we've talked about, I agree with you that CNN is trying desperately behind the scenes and in in the front office, I guess, to Mm -hmm. become what they once were the most trusted source in news. Have they also crossed the threshold from which they cannot return? Is that effort futile?
0: Well, try to imagine who the personality would be that they would put on the air that would command respect from Trump voters and Biden voters. Can you come up with a really talented, funny, articulate name for someone who could command that audience? No. Because in, in the end, it all comes down to talent. Talent and courage. Who has the talent and courage to try to talk to people on both sides? I'm depressed about the fact that that's a pretty short bench. To use a sports image, that bench is not full of talent right now.
1: Who knows? Maybe Tom Hanks.
0: But he- <laughs> well, he's pretty liberal on a lot of moral and social issues, but he's certainly got a face that America has learned to trust.
1: Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overbee Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He is founder and editor of Get Religion. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much for your time. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First
0: Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.